everybody and welcome again to the pits of Gotham's nightmares. The the dark despairs of criminality across all of not New York City as the might of the the black leathered fist of Batman comes crashing down upon the crime houses. This week we only talk about five Batman movies. Apparently I have a lot to say about Batman movies because we do not get through very many of them. In these things. Fuck, when I did Disney movies, there was like 15 an episode. We blasted through them. This shit, nah. I like to take my time, Batman movies. Mm. I can't remember which ones we actually talk about this week. Um, but I do know we talk about the first two Nolan movies this week. So if you're a big fan of that live-action Christian Bailman. Bail, Bailman. Get it? Cause ba then you're going to like this one. You're going to like this week's episode. Um, sorry I was off last week. A combination of complete physical exhaustion due to moving a friend's house for 14 hours, combined with food poisoning that lasted about five days and caused me to lose three pounds, prevented me from being funny on a microphone for a little while. But I'm back. I'm right as rain. I have a wicked bruise on my forearm that refuses to die, but hey, what else is new? Um, and I am no longer exploding in the bathroom. Might be a little too much details for most of you, but hey, I like to share. And I hope you enjoy this week's stuff with Batman shit. Uh, the audiobook chapters are ramping up today as well, and will continue as normal as moving forward. So, yeah. Um, and if you like the podcast and me talking about movies and shit, or my audiobooks, or whatever, go to patreon.com forward slash goingupcast, where you can watch me rant about movies and play video games. It's a bunch of fun over there. Just go check it out. Uh, but that's enough about me. Let's talk about some Batman movies. Batman Beyond Return of the Joker released 2000 on the dot. Um, this is a feature-length, straight-to-video movie uh, about Batman Beyond, which, if you never saw Batman Beyond, you are missing out. Batman Beyond was fucking radical. Because not only is it just, like, futurescape Gotham with super neat reimaginings of, like, classic Batman villains done in different ways, like, Joker is now, like, a gang, a clown fox, and shit like that, and it's, it's, it's a really creative show. Um, and I wish they did more things like that. Like, Batman Beyond was so different from, you know, every other form of Batman story. Because it wasn't Bruce. It was Terry McGinnis. Um, beautifully performed by Will Friedle, Who I most recently experienced on Critical Role, of all things. Um, as Cash. But he's a fucking great actor and he does a wonderful job here. But I had never seen this movie. I've seen the show, but I haven't seen the movie. Um, so this was new to me. And... Honestly, I don't even really want to spoil it. I know the movie's 21 years old, so statute of limitations on spoilers is over, but this is a really good movie. Like, there, there are... Alright, you know what? I will spoil it because it's 21 years old and I can't talk about this movie without spoiling it. So, let's get into it. We are deep into Terry being um, Batman. Um, I don't know when this takes place in terms of like the overall show. My guess is afterwards or perhaps during one of the middle seasons i'm too lazy to look it up but he's out fighting crime and um looks like some goons of of terry's like ilk people he's used to fighting are taking orders from uh from some guy claiming to be the joker and of course if you don't know when batman beyond takes place i think it's like 50 years since the events of batman the animated series um like bruce wayne's old and most of his villains are dead or also old, um, and so this guy coming back and being the Joker is it's surprising. Um, and as far as I'm aware, like, I haven't finished Batman the Animated Series, so I'm not entirely sure what happens to the Joker in the end of that. Um, I think, I don't think he dies, I think he just goes to Arkham. Um, but in this movie, in this universe, uh, we find out what happens to the Joker. And so Batman, Bruce Wayne, is noticeably shook because Joker shit comes back and he's like, that's impossible. And Terry's like, who the fuck's the Joker? Which blows my mind that there wouldn't be like a fucking history book or something about this guy. But, you know, maybe because we follow Batman, the Joker's like much more of a big deal. And I don't, I don't know how you don't be Batman and know who the fucking Joker is. But Terry didn't know who the Joker was. Even though he fights a gang called the Jokers... What, do you think they just came up with that on their own? 
But no, he he goes to talk to Barbara Gordon, who's Commissioner Gordon, and she's like, "Fucking shut up about it! Don't don't even sweat it." And Batman's like, "Give me the give me the cape. You shouldn't be Batman anymore." And Tara's like, "Fine," and he gives him the cake uh, cape and uh, gets his ass kicked at a bar when he's dancing with with his lady friend. Um, and th- Tara's like, "They knew I was Batman." And at the exact same time, Joker is attacking Bruce because the Joker knows that he's Batman. And then the story comes out while uh, Batman's recovering from the Joker attack of what happened uh, long ago. And then it does a flashback scene. Um, Kind of a la the killing joke. Um, I don't know what it is about this story, but Tim Drake gets it rough in basically every story he's in. And it's always the same way. They kid Joker and Harley kidnap Tim, and and at least in this movie they torture him for weeks and brainwash him into thinking that he is Joker and Harley's kid, and so when Batman finally catches up with them, Tim is this little Joker, and he never says anything in this entire scene. He just laughs maniacally, and it is twisted and fucked up, and one of the best fucking scenes I've ever seen in a Batman movie. Like, Michael Keaton and Tim Burton and all that shit can say they're dark all they fucking want. This movie is dark. This is this is next level, like, holy shit kind of fucked up. And it's also, as of right now, I mean, unfortunately for Tim, this storyline comes up a lot. This that scene is the best version of that story I've ever seen. And it actually ends with Joker getting got. Tim shoots and kills Joker in that scene, which blows my mind. Like there's there's a difference of going against Batman lore and Michael Keaton and having him blow up a factory with a bunch of goons in it because back then Batman not killing people, at least in movies, was not a big deal. Like, nobody ever talked about that. It was made a super big deal in, like, the Nolan-verse. You know, they really hammered home, like, Batman doesn't kill. You know, that was, that was like, the really big thing that Christopher Nolan kind of latched onto. Um, but this was five years before Batman Begins comes around. Um, and this is how you, you know, like, Joker never dies, you know, or something like that. That's, like, the cardinal sin. This is subverting Batman tropes in a really, really good way. And so I fucking loved that scene. Um, It was super dark. I actually paused it and went like, holy fucking shit. Like, audibly upset from from what that scene was showing me. It is... It is next level. You gotta watch it. Like, even if you know, like, a little bit about Batman, just how fucked up that whole thing is, you gotta watch it. And so... Terry learns that story and he goes to talk to Tim Drake who's like off working on some sort of communications device and Tim's like I don't do that anymore I'm retired and Terry's like alright well then I'll go talk to random Joe Schmo Joe Schmo doesn't know what the fuck and then that all goes to hell somewhere I don't know where Terry figures out where Joker is and so he goes over there and he finds Tim and Tim starts monologuing um and it's revealed that the Joker had somehow implanted a chip, a genetic biotech chip, in the back of Tim Drake's head, with all of his memories and sub like consciousness in it, that has slowly been bleeding into Tim Drake over the last like 50 years, before it finally, before Joker finally became powerful enough to kind of like assume control over Tim Drake's body, um, and turns out Tim Drake was the Joker. Uh, and there's just like this little bit of Joker that just grew and festered in the back of his head for fucking 50 years. Um, and which is kind of weird because Tim Drake's physicality completely changes when he's the Joker. It's like, he's got like a slim suit and knowledge. I don't fucking, don't think about it too much. Um, it just makes for a nice twist. And then, um, Tim, you know, gets the Joker talking and goofs him real good and, Kicks the shit out of him and shocks the biochip so it explodes and defeats the Joker. And then Tim's in the hospital talking to Barbara and then Bruce walks in and they have a little, like, a little moment. A tiny moment. You don't even get to see it. It's just like, hey, Tim. What's up, old man? And the door closes and that's the end of the movie. So far, this is my favorite Batman movie I've seen out of this list. This is better than everything that has come before it. As good characters, good settings, the animation's pretty good. I love these characters. 
I think I would still enjoy you. You will still enjoy this movie. If you don't know anything about Batman Beyond because the goons from like the day and all the side characters mean nothing. It really is about like old school Batman. If you know who the Joker is and if you know who these people are, you're gonna be fine. Um, and really, what sells it for me in this film is the fucking flashback scene of what Joker did to Tim. That shit was awesome, and I fucking loved it because of how dark and twisted it was. Therefore, this movie gets an 8 out of 10. It's really fucking good. I'd really recommend it. Batman, the mystery of Batwoman, released 2003, is okay. I mean, it's it's fine. Um, it's, it's, to the best of my knowledge, because I have, as I've stated before, I, I enjoy the animated shows, but I have not seen any of them to, like, their completion. So I don't know whether or not Batwoman actually makes an appearance in the show. I know Batgirl does. Uh, and indeed, Barbara Gordon is in this movie for, like, maybe 20 seconds. But it's just long enough for me to go, what is the nature of Barbara and Bruce's relationship? Because I'm not entirely sure what it is, but I don't like what it feels like. Um, at least in this movie, Barbara's in college. But... It definitely comes off like she's just super horny for Bruce. Um, again, I don't know the nature of their relationship, but I'm not a big fan of that because whatever it is now, she started <laughs> as Batgirl like a while ago, and that's not great. I remember a scene in The Killing Joke along those lines, and I'm not... Uh, I don't like that. That doesn't. That upsets me. It's like the power dynamic and the age and no, none of that is okay. So, like in this movie, she's in college, so she's old enough to make those decisions. But I don't, I don't, I don't like it anyway. Um, but that's so not the point of this movie. Batwoman shows up, and Batman's like, "Who's this? Who's ba Who is this?" And nobody knows. And she's just kicking all his ass. And this is the first time I've seen Penguin in, like, the animated form. Um, at least this animated form. And in this movie, Penguin is voiced by David Ogden Steers, uh, who is incredibly prolific as far as, like, Disney is concerned, which is pretty cool. Um, oh, also, I completely forgot to mention this real quick uh, about um, Batman Beyond, just super fast. Um... That movie was actually... The version on HBO Max is the original version of the film. Uh, because Joker's death sequence in that movie um, is Tim shooting him, right? With the gun. Um, that movie was being made and was uh, going to release a couple of months after Columbine. So they actually edited the movie back then... To show that Joker was shot and like into like electricity and was electrocuted to death. Not actually um, killed with a gun. So I just wanted to point that out because I thought that was interesting. Um, and the the version on HBO is the original uncut version of, of that movie. Anyway, we're talking about Mystery of Batwoman. So Batwoman shows up. He's just kicking a bunch of ass. And Batman's trying to figure it out. And what's great about this movie is that there are three possible individuals for the identity of Batwoman. You got Kathy Duquesne, who is the uh, daughter of like a crime boss who's providing muscle for Penguin and this guy named Thorne. Um, also, side note, uh, Rupert Thorne in this movie is played by John Vernon and this was their final performance before they died two years after this movie was released. Um, in case anybody was interested. Uh, then you've got Rocky Ballantyne, Dr. Rocky Ballantyne, who is working on programmable matter for Wayne Tech. And Detective uh, Sonia Alcana, who I could have sworn was um, fucking Renea Montoya, but it's not. It's a completely different person. And it's, it's, a, it's a pretty good mystery movie. The movie does a great job of being like, it's this person. No, wait, hold on. This happens. And now it's this person. Oh, wait, hold on. It can't be that person, because blah, blah, blah. Um, this movie is 19 years old, so I don't feel bad about spoiling this. It's all three of them. They're working as a team. Um, and I figured it out 
the exact same time Batman figured it out because I'm I wasn't putting the pieces together. But the movie does a pretty good job of like kind of breadcrumbing it out and giving you just enough information for you to make your own conclusions, but then it like throws a wrench in and the the reveal of that mystery is pretty decent. Uh I, I enjoy that. But that's like really it. This movie doesn't really have anything else going for it. Um it's just another Batman story. Music's pretty pretty good. There's like a a song in the movie. Um, which is not unwanted. Um, I don't know who sang that song, but there's like a scene in the movie where there's like a pretty, they go to the iceberg lounge and, um, oh, Cherie, Cherie, I don't know who that is, performs the single Betcha Never. Um, she's a French pop star. There you go. Um, but she sings a song in the iceberg lounge and it's a good song. Um, and that whole scene really makes this movie, uh, more than any other Batman movie, kind of feel James Bondy, Because you see quite a bit of Bruce Wayne in this movie. And I like Bruce. Bruce is great. Um, and it's, it's pretty James Bondy. I like it. Um, it was, it was fun. You know, the final climactic action takes place on a cruise ship. Whole thing blows up. It's neat. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's fine. It's totally fine. Uh, Tim Drake is there for some fucking reason i can't figure out why and seeing tim in this movie having just watched return of the joker really freaks me out because i'm like where is this this is clearly before tim loses his mind but it's just like you know what's coming down the pipeline for him and it's awful um but then i suppose that just kind of begs the question you kind of figure out what happens to the batwoman like once all of their ident like identities are blown their their batwomaning days are over um, which is unfortunate because Batwoman is a very cool character. Um, and I liked the, the, what they did with this. And the fact that when they're in the Batwoman suit, a completely different voice actress, or voice actor, sorry, um, provides the voice for Batwoman. So there were four, um, people technically portraying, like, the same character, which I thought was kind of fun. Um, that's fine. It's not gonna blow your goddamn mind when it comes to animated movies and stuff like that, but it is... It is far from the worst movie I've seen, but it's definitely not one to, like, take home to the bank. So, Batman Mystery of Batwoman gets a 5 out of 10. It's a perfectly functional movie. There's really not much going on here to excite me. And I will shrug my shoulders, nod my head, go, yep, that was a Batman movie, and move on. Two thousand and five's Batman Begins. Boy, wouldn't it have been awkward if that was the only one they ever made? Wouldn't that have been awkward? It almost would have been as bad as calling your movie Batman Forever and having that be the last one. But fortunately for everybody, the the Nolan verse version of Batman was a critical and financial darling, and everybody fucking loved it. However, Batman Begins is a bit of a weird one because. It, this version of Batman, Chris, Christian Bale Batman, is a pretty good version of Batman. Um, it's probably, I need to take another look at Affleck, but it's probably my favorite version of Batman in a live-action medium. What I love about this series is that it grounds Batman in reality, um, for the most part. There's a couple of things that we can point at, like the grapple gun being roughly the size of a football, and yet somehow have the tensile strength to lift a, a man carrying... Like, Batman in this movie is probably like 230 pounds of muscle, plus another 50 to 60 pounds worth of kit. Like, that's a lot for a tiny fucking grappling gun to move through the air at any given speed or for some reason Batman's baffling ability to summon bats um that never comes up again and is only ever used in this film um this movie is so different from the other two I almost want I would almost wonder if it wasn't done by a different person but the fact that it is directed by Nolan is flabbergasting like it it, it feels so much more campy than the ones that come after it. And it I think that's kind of to its benefit because it 
simply acts as like uh, an, an in-between almost. It's got some camp. It's got a little bit of like that 90s flair. And then it got that kind of realistic grounding that Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises really hammers home. So, yeah. Anyway, let's talk about the movie. It's it's Batman's Origins, um, which up until now, we haven't really gotten. You know, Michael Keaton's Batman, he's already batman in. It's like, it's, Michael Keaton, we don't get any shots of Michael Keaton in like a fucking dojo learning to be Batman. Nobody cared back then where Batman came from. They just cared about him being Batman. Even in like the animated series. I mean, you get his origins eventually. But, not, you know, this is the first movie, chronologically, where his origins is really touched on. Sure, you get like flashbacks like, my parents are dead. Oh, that shit. And that became so much more of a thing in later Batman movies. They always felt like this need to explain where Batman came from. Um, but this is the first time that we see where Batman comes from. And there are a lot of aspects of Batman's origin stories that this movie doesn't touch on. Um, it really fixates on his time in the League of Shadows. Or the League of Assassins, depending on what you're reading. Um, with with Ra's al Ghul or Ra's al Ghul, both are acceptable, both are applicable, beautifully played. By Liam Neeson. And if you don't know anything about me, I fucking love Liam Neeson. This movie has a couple of actors in it that I love up and down, left and right, in anything they've ever been in. And those three actors are Liam Neeson, Morgan Freeman, and Michael Caine. I fucking love them in everything I've ever seen them in. So, it's it's awesome that there are all these excellent actors in this movie. And Michael Caine is my favorite version of Alfred. I, I love that he's sassy. I love that he can sell it emotionally. He's got this, like, presence to him. I love Michael Caine. So, perfect casting for for Alfred. Absolutely phenomenal. Christian Bale does a pretty good job. He's got that kind of, like, billionaire playboy smarm to him. He can be sassy at times. Uh, he's got the physicality to Batman, which is also a first. Everybody else got away with it because of... The suit, right? Like the fucking molded latex with their eight abs. Fucking, you know Michael Keaton didn't have that. But the suit did. And that's all you needed. So it totally worked. But Christian Bale is the first Batman actor, live action, to actually come in fucking just yoked. Um, to be fair, like, his physicality in this film is fine. I believe he actually becomes more of a physical presence in later films. Um, but I, I do want to point that out. That 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 is something I feel like is kind of important to the character because Batman is a brawler. You know, Batman, he, he will beat the living shit out of you. And I don't know. I never got like that sense of, of fear from Keaton or Kilmer or Clooney or Adam West. Like, it's not there. They don't have that presence. But Bale does. And that's the whole point of this movie, is that Batman is developing his identity and becoming the symbol for criminals to fear. And in order to be something that criminals fear, you gotta be scary. And how do you be scary? You get fucking huge. That's how you do it. It also actually explains, in this film, where Batman gets all his fun toys. I appreciate that. This is an origin story that covers everything. It explains Batman's motivations. It explains why he can kick so much ass. It explains where his toys come from. It explains how his toys work for the most part. Like his cape or his car. Um, for the most part, it gets explained. The grappling gun still doesn't obey physics, so we're just going to ignore that. I don't know how he summons bats, so we're just going to ignore that. Totally fine. And it even explains how the Batcave can be developed and built. Because throughout this movie, they destroy Wayne Manor. And then, of course, in the next film, it's back better than ever with an improved Batcave and all that shit. So, he's training off with Ra's al Ghul and fighting his way through the criminal underbelly, just training and all that stuff. Eventually, he comes back to Gotham after he, you know, does his training with Ra's um, and inadvertently saves his life. Uh, and throughout this, there are also flashbacks of, like, his parents getting killed and Rachel Dawes, who... I don't believe... I, they might be in the comics. 
I don't remember them ever being in anything else. Certainly, as far as visual media is concerned, this is the first instance of their character. As far as the movies, you know? Rachel Dawes has not appeared in any other film up until this point. I can guarantee it, because I've just seen him. This is also the feature-length debut for Scarecrow and Ra's al Ghul. I'm pretty confident in that. Yeah, pretty goddamn sure. Um... Which is nice. I like Scarecrow. I like Scarecrow a lot. I love this version of Scarecrow with that fucking, like, sackcloth mask. I think that's really good. Um, Scarecrow in this movie is portrayed by, can I remember his name without looking it up? It's a weird sounding name. You're fucking played by Cillian Murphy. That's it. I wouldn't have gotten that. Um, oh, of course, Gary Oldman is James Gordon. There's another actor that I fucking love in everything they've ever been in. Um, and they kick ass as fucking Gordon. So, oh, we also get a little bit of Carmine Falcone, who who has appeared in, in other things. It's just like a generic mob boss. Um, but they don't really do a whole lot. Uh, they mostly exist to die. So, there you go. Regardless, uh, Batman finally takes up the mantle being Batman, which is great. It's almost like this movie's called Batman Begins or something like that. And so at some point, we kind of have to get to Batman. And another carryover from the old school Batman stuff is that this cowl doesn't allow Batman to turn his head. That's made a pretty big deal in the second movie, but it's not a big deal in this one. And that his cowl, it's rigid, so he's constantly like turning his shoulders and all that shit. It, you see him like shifting the chairs being like, I gotta turn... Turn my upper body. Oh, and then, of course, the, the Batman voice. I'm not going to give Bale crap about that. He is not the first actor to give Batman a distinctive voice. Kevin Conroy is the first actor to give Batman a distinctive voice. That's why he got the part. Because he was the first actor who actually auditioned to where Bruce Wayne had a voice and Batman had a voice. Granted, with Kevin Conroy, it's pretty subtle. It's like, hi, I'm Bruce Wayne. Hi, I'm Batman. You know, it's just like, it's just like a little bit different. With Christian Bale, it's like, hi, I'm Bruce Wayne. Where were the other drugs going? Like, it's, it's a whole other different persona. But you know what? It adds to the fear. If somebody just growls at you out of a bat suit and you're hanging upside down from the rain and shit, and he's just yelling at you, you're probably gonna fucking freak out. Which is kind of the point. So, that's that's fucking great. Um, yeah, I mean... Sorry, I'm, let's get back on the plot. So, yeah, he, he fucking Batmans it up and discovers that Crane has been dumping his toxin into the water mains. Uh, and because of this microwave tech that Wayne Enterprises developed that was stolen by Raj Al Ghul, the stuff then gets aerosoled and the town, whole city just starts freaking out. My question with the fucking microwave emitter, why isn't it like fucking vaporizing the moisture in bodies? Like what, what possible logic does that have, right? If, if it's emitting microwaves, just microwaves strong enough to instantly vaporize water within like a hundred fucking feet of the thing or a thousand feet of the thing right seems pretty the range of this thing is absurd shouldn't they be like shouldn't people just be fucking exploding in vapor clouds i'm not a math magician but i'm pretty sure that's not how science works you can't selectively target what type of water you're hitting because humans are mostly water and i'm pretty sure if you stood in a microwave you're probably gonna die because that's how microwaves work. So that doesn't really add up for me. Um, and everybody should have been instantly vaporized. But whatever, you know. <laughs> I'm just a dipshit reviewing movies. So what do I know, right? <laughs> it's wrong and it's stupid. And I'm 100% confident that's not how microwaves work. So there you go. Um, Katie Holmes as Rachel Dawes. She does a fine job. In fact, she does such a fine job that I don't know entirely why she was recast. Um, I'm guessing money. That's probably that's usually the reason why most of these things happen. You know, she may have wanted more money, or they weren't offering enough money, or whatever. There's probably money was was involved, and then they were just like, "Yeah, I'm out." Whatever. Probably. If I if I had to guess, that would be my guess. But I I do enjoy Batman Begins. It is not my favorite of this trilogy, not by a long shot. In fact, as far as this trilogy is concerned, it's my third favorite. It's still a very good Batman movie. And it's the first live-action Batman movie I think is a legitimately good film. I've enjoyed them for being entertaining. 
I've enjoyed them for being campy. Batman and Batman Returns are not great. I mean, the pacing of this movie is pretty good. It's shot pretty well. The action sequences are really good. The music is iconic. Um, the the design of everything is really cool. I love how militaristic Batman is because it makes him more grounded. That Batman is fueled by like military funding projects and all of that stuff. It makes sense. And that's something that we've desperately needed this entire fucking time. It has a little bit of camp, but not too much. Everything, everything about this says to me that they really understood the source material and they were able to do something different with it and still make a really good Batman story. Now, I've said it a couple of times with other reviews up until this point that this movie really emphasizes the Batman doesn't kill thing. Like, it's very clear on that, that Batman doesn't kill. And the movie kind of goes out of its way to show you it di that Batman didn't kill people. Unfortunately, there's a little too much destruction and there's a little too much, like, highfalutin car chase scenes to perfectly say that Batman doesn't kill people um, because the, the fucking collateral is pretty extensive and I'd be willing to bet that someone fucking died. So there's that. Also, there's the bit at the end where the train is about to crash and Raz al Ghul is about to die and Batman goes, I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. And now we're getting into, like, a fucking semantics argument. Like, by not saving Raz al Ghul, Batman may have, well, may as well have fucking killed him, right? Because he orchestrated the situation of his fucking demise. Kind of like how when Bruce Wayne sets fire to the fucking dojo in the beginning of the movie. And, like, the whole thing just, like, fucking explodes. Bruce Wayne has no idea if everybody got out of there alive. He has no fucking clue. Someone could have died there, and that would have been his fault. And so, by not killing one fucking dude, he may have killed, like, dozens of others, but because he's morally right, like, you know, this, it's this fucking gray zone. If you're going to have the point of your fucking movie be that Batman doesn't kill people, don't fucking make it morally gray, you know what I mean? Because that kind of undercuts the whole thing of your movie that Batman is better than the villains because he doesn't kill and because he doesn't go in, down to those lesser instincts and it's made even more of a deal in the next film so you'd be bet your fucking ass I'm going to be watching The Dark Knight with as fucking critical an eye as humanly possible to see if there is any point whatsoever where it could be possibly be construed that Batman killed somebody because in this movie hell fucking yes it looks like Batman killed a bunch of people but that is just just me. Just my thing. I would argue that Batman did kill Raz al Ghul. Personally. If you were going to ask me, yes. By orchestrating the situation of his demise, and by refusing to save him, he killed, he killed Raz al Ghul. It's the same logic by like, a, a lie of omission is still a lie. You might not have said something, but you still weren't being truthful. You know? You didn't kill him, by or you killed him by not saving him your inaction killed the man therefore it's your fault um that's that's my view on the thing um but that is basically batman begins um it also introduces this part of gotham called the narrows which is never seen or mentioned ever again in this trilogy as far as i'm aware because when I saw this movie for the first time after I saw a Dark Knight, I was like, where the fuck is the Narrows? Um, and I'm guessing it's based on, um, there's a, there's a part of Manhattan called, um, it's an, it's an island. Uh, it's a really small part. All right, hold on. New York City. Um, uh, what is it? What is it called? Um, no, that's not what it's called. Um, fuck. There is... Just show me, like, a fucking map. I can I can find it. Give me, give me a goddamn map. There's a part in New York City that exists in between islands um, that is, like, almost always underwater. Um, Broad Channel. That's what it's called. It's called Broad Channel. Broad Channel is 
is a is a weird neighborhood in Queens that for the most part like floods constantly. And when our sea levels rise like the 200 fucking feet they're going to over the next like 40 or 50 years, Brad Channel's going to be fucking gone. It's just going to be it's just going to be swampy underwater. Maybe that's what the Narrows is like based on. Um, but to the best of my knowledge, like this movie portrays the Narrows like a goddamn bed of crime, and I do not believe that Broad Channel is a bed of crime. I believe it is just part of New York City. Um, it's it's a part of New York City that I've spent like almost no time on, um, which is weird because JFK Airport is like right the fuck next to it. So you would think, right? Anyway, um, I'm getting I'm getting sidetracked. The final rating for Batman Begins is a solid 7 out of 10. Um, it it does its job really well. I think it portrays the lore of Batman pretty well. Um, there aren't many things about this movie I dislike. It's just not nearly as good as things that kind of come after it. Which I know isn't particularly fair to Batman Begins. But it's it sets the stage well. There are a few minor things I would have liked to change about it. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's fine. 7 out of 10. eight's Batman Gotham Knight is a weird one for a lot of reasons. So we're going to be here for a minute. First of all, this one comes out less than a month before Dark Knight which is of importance because this movie technically ties into the Nolan movies. This this kind of explains what Batman is up to in between the events of Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. And it is six short stories stapled together into a movie. There is a continuity between the stories, um, but it's not like one full movie. Uh, and the reason that it's important to specify that there are six, each short story is directed, produced, written, and animated by six completely different teams. It's a fascinating piece of media. It is predominantly animated by anime studios. Um, and I'm basically going to talk about each short story in order who animated it, what it's about, and how good it was. And because it's basically like its own little thing, I think I might even give ratings to each little short story because they're so different in how they approach what they do. This is a this was a, a huge surprise for me. Like, I just expected just another Batman movie, but this is so fucking different from everything else. The first story you see with Batman Gotham Knight is called Have I Got a Story for You. It's basically these four skater kids talking about how they saw Batman do dope shit. Um, and the animation for this uh, short, it was written by Josh Olsen and animated by uh, Studio 4 Degrees Celsius, um, who are, uh, I don't want to say best known for it, but they've worked on Berserk, the Golden Age arc, um, Children of the Sea, uh, a bunch of TV and OVAs I've never fucking heard of. Just, in, just an anime studio. Um, nothing too amazing from what I can tell. Uh, oh, they, they worked on Catherine, uh, the video game Catherine, and Asura's Wrath. There you go. Um, I think going for the video games, I might be able to know more about them. But it was animated by them. And it's a fascinating animation uh, style. But essentially, uh, what this story does really well is it's like, it hypes the mythos of Batman. Because all these kids just see, like, these these things about Batman. Like, the first kid thinks Batman's like a literal living shadow and he can't be stopped, and the next person thinks he's a, a an actual man-bat, uh, which is funny, because that's an actual villain in the, the Batman comics, man-bat. Uh, he shows up in the animated series. Um, the third person thought he was a robot, and then the fourth person finally sees that he is just a man in a suit. Also, Batman, um, for all of these shorts, is voiced by Kevin Conroy, which is awesome, because it's Kevin Conroy, but it's also weird, because if it ties into the Nolan-verse... It's, it's kind of like when um, uh, a singer brings on a guest star to sing with them and the guest star just outclasses them in every conceivable way, vocally, you know. Have, comparing Kevin Conroy to Christopher Nolan, or not Christopher Nolan, to Christian Bale is not favorable to Christian Bale because you can't beat the best. And because it's set in the same universe 
as the the Christopher Nolan movies because it's it's the continuation. It's just completely unfair uh, that they they bring in Kevin Conroy because he just he kills it. Of course he does because he's Kevin Conroy. He is Batman. He is the voice of Batman. Like when I dream of Batman at night, as I often do, the voice I hear is Kevin Conroy. So yeah, and it's that's basically the 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 story of this is that. Batman shows up and the kids finally see that he's just a man in a suit. Um, the animation for this one I thought was really cool. Uh, it's very fluid, very anime. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that short. Um, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. Oh, and he's also he's fighting this guy that's like the man in black. And that's important because in the next short, Crossfire, uh, written by Greg Rucka and animated by Production IG Studios, uh, known for doing... Um, let's see, Psychopaths, the Ghost in the Shell series, um, actually Ghost in the Shell makes a lot of sense, because when you see it, I had a lot of those, those thoughts, um, Tales of Symphonia video game series, they've done a lot, a lot of stuff was done with these guys, um, and they're still making things, which is awesome, I'm just scrolling through their, their, like, list. yeah, they did Ghost in the Shell, that's probably, and then you got Neon Genesis, um, the end of Evangelion, they did as well. Which makes sense. Because anime. Um, oh, what video games did you work on? The Xenogears. Uh, Fire Emblem, Radiant Dawn. Kid Icarus Uprising. Oh, Persona 5. They did the animated cutscenes for Persona 5? Fuck yes, Production IG. I should have recognized you a lot sooner. Anyway. This one's called Crossfire. Um, and it's basically two cops from the major crime unit that were handpicked by Gordon delivering a guy to Arkham Asylum. And what's interesting about this short is that it establishes the lore that Arkham Asylum has basically expanded to consume the entire Narrows, and it's basically Arkham City now, uh, which I thought was interesting. I don't think that's how it is in the fucking movie, because that would have been a huge plot point, um, but it's how it is in like the fucking video games, and no other short in this movie talks about it. Like It's only for this one. Um, and they drop off uh, a criminal called the Man in Black, who uh, uh, Jacob Feely, um, who was the guy that was fighting Batman in the first sketch. So that's like the tie-over. And the two cops, uh, Ramirez and Allen, get caught in a crossfire between some guy named the Russian, um, also known as um, uh, Yuri Dimitrov. Uh, and Sal Maroney, who's played by Rob Paulson, which is always fun. Also, Yuri Dimitrov is played by Corey Burton, another famous voice actor. Um, and they almost get iced, like the two cops, they almost get iced. They're just caught in the crossfire and they're almost eliminated. Then Batman rolls up like a goddamn badass motherfucker. These shorts showcase Batman in such a dope-ass fucking way that it's, it's crazy. Like, there's a bit in this short where he's just standing in, like, fire he's actively on fire and he's just standing there like staring at sal maroney it's fucking great also this is a good point to mention that this one it's not necessarily dark but the visuals of this are a lot more graphic than i expected um pg-13 but like a really solid pg-13 uh when this aired on tv it was edited um to remove some of the more graphic scenes it's basically just blood it's it's not like you know, you're going to see, um, like, nudity or anything like that. It's mostly just blood uh, and some some facial expressions that are very exaggerated that can cause some some fear. So, yeah, Batman shows up, saves the cop, uh, and then goes like, you're some of Gordon's guys, right? Gordon's a great dude. And then he takes off. Third short we've got is Field Test. Uh, and this one brings us Lucius Fox into the animated sphere. Uh, written by Gor uh, Jordan... Gordon Goldberg, no, Gor Jordan Goldberg, there we go, and animated by B-Train Studios, who have did, um, they did Hack Sign, um, they did, that's basically it, yeah, one of their major things is the fucking short they animated for this, um, but I think they did a good job, Mad Lax, I don't know what that is, they have a strong following in the Yuri fandom, good for them. Uh, for for being involved in series portraying strong female leads with speculatively ambiguous relationships. Good on you, B-Train. Get that representation. Anyway, um, this one is about Lucius Fox designing basically an electromagnetic field to allow Batman to be bulletproof. 
and uh, he goes after Sal Maroni, who's trying to kill the Russian. Um, and he rolls up, and all their bullets are just ping, 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 ping off this electromagnetic field. Uh, except somebody gets hit uh, with the ricochet bullet, and Batman takes him to the hospital. Um, and then he returns the device to Lucius Fox, saying, like, it worked too well. Um, I'm willing to put my life on the line to do what I have to do, but it has to be mine. No one else's. And I thought that was a that was a really nice, like, um, sentiment. And I, I really enjoyed that. Um, it's That's a great little story, and it's really well animated, but I liked that one a lot. Uh, and then I went to bed, and I woke up the next day, and I watched In Darkness Dwells, which was written by David S. Goyer, who... That name sh should sound familiar because he is uh, one of the writers for the Nolan movies. So there you go. Uh, and animated by Madhouse Studios, uh, who are best known for... Uh, they've been around since 72. Um, Hunter x Hunter uh, was something they did. Uh, the Beyblade anime. Uh, there's there's quite a bit under their, under their belt. So I'm not even going to attempt to list all of the things they did. But... They're very prolific, and they are a, a huge studio. Um, chances are you've seen something they've animated without even realizing it. So, I'm just going to let that one slide. But Madhouse Studio is... Or Madhouse Company. Anyway. Uh, this one, Joker's in the basement. Uh, he's going after uh, Scarecrow and Croc. Uh, Killer Croc is finally brought in. Uh, Croc bites him, injects him with, like, Scarecrow's fear toxin. He eventually finds Scarecrow. Uh, basically blows up the sewer... He's, he's in and saves a guy who is going to be killed by Scarecrow, uh, Cardinal O'Fallon or something like that. Um, and then they, they fucking blast out of there. And he's talking to Gordon this whole time. So it's nice to see the relationship between Gordon and Batman, like, working together, fine things. Um, and that's basically that one. The animation to that one is very stylized. I, all of these are very stylized. Um, and they are all very different in their own way. Um... No two Bruce Waynes look alike. You know, it's it's kind of crazy. And no Batman... Like, some of these Batman suits are fucking crazy cool. How how they're designed. Um, just wanted to... Just wanted to mention... Um, in case anybody was, was curious about that. But, yeah, that is that is that short. Working Through the Pain, written by Brian Az Azzarello. Uh, and animated by Four uh, Degree... Studio Four Degree C. Um, who animated the first short. I didn't even notice that. Um, uh, this one is uh, Batman was shot, right, in the last scene. He was shot in the sewers. He cauterizes the wound, and he's trying to get out of the sewers, and it flashbacks to when he was um, traveling the world and attempting to conquer his fear, and so he's trained by a woman named Cassandra on, like, walking on coals and conquering your demons and stuff like that. Um, and she tells the story about how she was, uh, kicked out of, like, her village because of her, her methods and stuff like that, and, uh, eventually some people show up to, like, rough her up, Batman kicks the shit out of him, and then she kicks him out being like, um, I can't help you because your pain is leading you down a path that you're actively seeking or something like that, like, you can't, you can't be saved by something you're, you're pursuing so aggressively, um, and as Batman's crawling out of the sewer in, like, the present day, uh, he eventually makes it to the top of the sewer where he starts just uncovering guns. Like, people were throwing away guns in the garbage. Just this enormous cache of guns. Alfred arrives to, like, help him out of the sewer, and he's like, give me your hand. Uh, but Batman, who... He's just got, like, his arms full of guns. He just can't... Can't do it. And then that's when that story ends. Um, I like this one a lot. I like this one because it provides some more backstory on Batman's training. And um, it is it is an interesting thing. Because instead of him just like whooping a bunch of ass, this one's more like spiritual and mental training. Which makes a lot of sense for Batman's character. The final short is called Deadshot. Guess what this one's about. Written by Alan Burnett. Animated by Madhouse Studios. Uh, Deadshot rolls up. Um, he was paid to kill Batman. Uh, threatens Gordon to draw Batman out. Batman gets drawn out. He goes after Batman. Batman kicks the living shit out of him. And Deadshot goes to jail. Uh, and then the uh, short ends with Batman looking at the bat signal outside the window. And that's how the whole movie ends. Um, and again, of course, it's gorgeously animated. Batman Gotham Knight tells six really good stories. Um, animated very well by four very prolific studios. Um, and B-Train. <laughs> no, I'm not throwing shade. It's really good. 
it's really weird too because none of the events of this movie are referenced in the dark knight like it it's like these stories don't matter for the overarching trilogy you do not need to see this movie to appreciate dark knight and dark knight rises it is not required viewing at all but it is it does show another side of batman um it kind of shows us what he's up to it introduces the character of sal moroni so that's kind of nice because otherwise he just kind of shows up in the dark knight with no rhyme or reason as to who or why he's there um as a movie it does tie together i mean it's six, six stories animated by six different studios so i can't knock it on animation i can't knock it on music i can't knock it on voice acting because that's all amazing um the stories themselves were written pretty well so i enjoyed the tales they told and it had a continuous continuity so i would argue that it is it's an anth- anthological movie but it's a movie Absolutely, certainly more so than some other things that I've seen in recent months that have tried to pull this kind of shit. Um, so I give this a fucking man. It was really different and really good. I'm thinking eight. I'm thinking eight out of ten. Um, it, it definitely surprised me, and I legitimately enjoyed it. And basically, no short overstayed its welcome. That's the other thing. Like right around when you're getting kind of like, all right, I've seen it. I got it. I'm picking up what you're putting down. It would move on to the next short. Um, which is the, the perfect style of doing that. Um, people are comparing it to the Animatrix um, because uh, I think Studio 4 Degree C also worked on that. Um, and some people gave it the Batamatrix name. I don't I don't get that. I've never seen the Animatrix. Um, I just thought this was really good and just a fun collection of Batman short stories. I mean, what, what more do you want? That just sounds like a great old time thumbs up for Batman Gotham Knight. And finally, this week, the Mac Daddy of Batman movies, as far as I'm aware. We've got something like 20 other films to watch after this one, but 2008, The Dark Knight. The first Batman movie I ever saw in theaters because, you know, 2008, I would have been 12. Um, is that right? No. No, that's not right. I was, um, fuck. Uh, 14. I was 14. So, yeah, I mean, I was about to be like, what can you say about this movie that others haven't said before? A lot. I can say a lot of things about this movie. Um, so let's, let's talk about it. Let's talk about Dark Knight. So, it starts off with the bank heist, right? And the villain of this particular movie is the Joker. And as of right now, my favorite version of him in a live-action role was done by Heath Ledger. Um, I like Cesar Romano. Jack Nicholson kind of bored me. Heath Ledger is kind of where it's at. And since I'm only watching strict Batman movies on this list, I'm ignoring Jared Leto because... Fuck that and fuck him. So Heath Ledger wins the Joker crap. Um, he's the best film version of the Joker. And this movie's long. It's like two and a half hours. It's a, it's a, it's a hefty film. Um, and really the only way I can talk about it is going through it plot point by plot point. So you've got the bank heist in the beginning, which sets up the Joker's character. Um, and it also sets up this uh, idea of the mob money being moved around in banks and stuff like that. And the cops trying to take the mom's finances which is a pretty big plot point for the first act of the film and batman's like trying to get a beat on joker and he's like him again you know all that shit and uh you know it's a tough to get tough to get a read on joker and then joker shows up at like a mob meeting because you know there's the shit with with batman um and joker rolls up and he's like if you're good at something never do it for free and i love that line i i think that's a legitimately good like bit of wisdom, you know, if you're good at something, don't do it for free, you know, like art commissions, you know, get paid for that shit, that sort of stuff. It's, it's just good advice comes from the Joker. So, you know, the other thing about the source material, but it's, it's good. It's good wisdom. If you're good at something, don't do it for free, you know, get, get paid for what you're worth. That sort of, that sort of logic, just good, solid money advice. 
And then he's like, I'm going to kill the Batman. And, you know, the gamble turns on him, and then he does the whole why so serious shit and all that stuff. Um, and, I mean, I let's, let's, let's bounce back a little bit. There's a bit in the beginning with Scarecrow, which I appreciate. Um, having the villain from the first movie kind of show up. And just for that little bit. And Scarecrow does come back for the third movie as well, but he's just in this a little teeny bit. Um, but I liked it. And in that fight sequence, uh, Batman gets, like, mauled by a dog. And so that's when he gets his updated suit. When it's made out of, like, the segmented plates, uh, the titanium or titanium-dipped triweave fiber or whatever. Um, that finally allows him to turn his head and, like, you know, be move around and stuff like that. So it only took, what, maybe a dozen Batman movies before Batman finally got the ability to look and turn his head in different directions. Um, I also want to take this moment to call out the punch sound effects for Batman. Sounds like somebody hitting a fucking punching bag with like a, like a fucking boxing glove. Just the solid, like, thump. It's a really good sound. Kind of reminds me of the Indiana Jones punch sound, which I'm pretty sure was somebody slapping a ham. Um, or something like that. There's just like a really visceral sound effect to it. Um, it's a little over the top, but then again, so is Batman. So I don't, I don't particularly mind that a whole lot. Um, and then of course Joker goes on his killing spree, trying to get Batman to reveal his identity. You'll notice that Joker bounces around a lot with his plan in this movie. And that's very indicative of this version of the Joker, this agent of chaos. You know, he's, he's just completely random and it's hard to get a beat on what he is and what he wants and all that stuff. Um, and that's kind of the point of him, and that's what kind of makes him amazing, is that he is just complete, you know, he's, he is chaos incarnate. He's just a, a ball of fire. And that's when you get the great, um, you know, Alfred speech. Some men just want to watch the world burn, Master Wayne. He was thrown out the gems. Saw a child playing with a ruby the size of a tangerine. I love it when Alfred ever, like, has a monologue. He has a great one in the second movie, too. Um, but, yeah, this... Rest of movie plays out. Um, you've got you like uh, the bit with the fairy. I think is probably like one of the greatest scenes of the film. The anytime like this movie showcases the the strength or lack thereof of humanity. And there's a there's a very primal uh, uncovering of like the default human soul. Um, like when. Uh, the newscasters are asking Gordon if they, if Gordon really thinks that a normal citizen will kill Coleman Reese just because the Joker says he's going to blow up a hospital. And there are multiple attempts on Coleman's life. Uh, a guy tries to shoot him in a crowd and then a cop tries to get him. And then somebody tries to cr run into the cop car in a truck. Like his life was threatened at three separate instances. And you can see, like you get close-ups of these people. You can see like the desperation in their face, the cop is like, why? Because my wife is in the hospital. You know, people being forced into impossible situations to make impossible choices. And it, bouncing back to the Joker being like, uh, you really see who people are in like their final moments. Um, it, it's a really big theme of this of this movie. Uh, you know, when, when the chips are down and, you know, the people will eat themselves or whatever. And then there's, of course, the bit with the boats. And neither ship decides to blow up the other ship just to showcase that. Humanity is strong, and they are stronger than the Joker thinks they are. There are a lot of incredible fight sequences in this. Um, the transport scene for Harvey Dent going to jail, and that whole combat thing with like, come on, I want you to do it, I want you to do it, come on, come on, hit me, hit me! You know, that shit, that fucking, I love that whole sequence. Um, the, the final showdown between Two-Face, Gordon, and Batman, because the Joker wanted to prove that someone as good as you could fall. You know, that shit. I fucking love it. Um, there are two things that jump out at me that keep this movie from being a perfect score. And this is as close as I think a Batman movie is going to get to being a perfect score. Dark Knight gets a 9 out of 10. And there are two things that prevent it from being a 10 out of 10. One is the cop in the transport sequence sitting across from Gordon just fucking yammering away none of his lines are funny and it's really the only instance in the movie where that shit happens where he's like that's not good okay that's not good i'm like what are you chandler bang shut the fuck up i don't give two shits so i, I hated that take all of that shit out honestly it doesn't serve a purpose it's not funny it's just distracting and it doesn't fit the movie when the movie is funny like when the Joker blows up the hospital and the bomb doesn't go off and he's like messing with the, the, the fucking detonator and stuff like that and then it explodes. That's funny. That's funny shit. But it's like, it's not a joke. 
You know, it's just like him just being funny. Um, and I'm pretty sure that was improv. To, like, there was an actual delay with the explosives when they blew up that building. Um, but it fucking works for the movie and it fits the character. Um, or the bit with the pencil. I thought that was great the first time I saw that. Um, shit like that. That's funny. But the dude in that truck can fucking shut the hell up. I never liked him. And Batman's Batman voice kind of ruins the gravity of certain scenes. Like, Two-Face and Gordon are acting their fucking ass off in that final showdown. And it's amazing to watch. And Two-Face is like, why am I the only one who lost everything? And then Batman fucking comes in and he's like, Because the, the Joker wanted to... I mean, it it kind of ruins the scene for me. I went back and forth on if I like Batman's voice or not, and I think the answer to that is no, I don't like Batman's voice. Because it's just... I just can't get behind it. I know why he's doing it, I get it, but... I mean, Ben Affleck just got, like, a fucking voice disguiser gadget, you know? Um, so... That's what keeps it from being a perfect score. Pretty much everything else about this movie, I'm a huge fan of. I love the kind of stress-building score where it's like the same tone constantly, but it gets louder, so you think it like increases in pitch, but it doesn't. It just kind of starts over and over and over again, but because of the increase in volume, you think it does get higher and higher, and it's that unsettling sound sensation that um, creates the sense of tension. I think that's great. Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker is absolutely flawless. The fight sequences are incredible. The cinematography of this movie is really good, which is not something I normally say about things. But the way certain things are filmed, like when Harvey Dent's face is in the oil, when he's about to get it blown up, you can see his reflection in the oil, which is great symbolism. The bit where uh, Joker's hanging upside down and he's like, and I brought him down to our level. The camera fucking slowly turns in real time until... His head is facing right side up, but he's still hanging upside down. I love that, because you can see it in real time. It's like one steady shot, and the camera just fucking spins and flips upside down. Um, and I thought that was great. Um, Gordon is great in this movie. Lucius Fox is great in this movie. Uh, Maroney is really good. Um, he's got a couple of funny lines in there. Can we go someplace quieter? We can't hear each other talk. And then Maroney goes, what makes you think I want to hear you talk? Uh, like I thought that was great. Just... There's a lot of really good scenes, and it is one of the best Batman movies. It not only is Batman grounded, right? Everything makes sense. It tells you his gear. It tells you all that shit totally makes sense. Joker is also grounded. Because at the end of the day, he is just a dude with makeup. Much like how Batman's just a dude in a suit. Um, but his psychological warfare that he waged on Gotham... And his, his manipulation of everybody. And how he was able to turn Dent with a fucking conversation. It wasn't even a long conversation. Introduce a little anarchy. And watch as the established order falls. And he's got like the gun pointed at his forehead. And the bit with the coin. Um, just fucking great. Recasting Rachel with Maggie Gyllenhaal. Who is a phenomenal actor in her own right is, again, I'm flabbergasted by it because, I mean, she dies in this movie, so did it really make that much of a fucking difference? I don't, I don't fucking know. Um, I thought um, Aaron, what is his name, Eckhart as Two-Face was beautiful casting. He killed it as Harvey Dent, and he does a great job as Two-Face. Uh, if anything is, is wrong with that character and that performance, it is just the fact that I would have loved to get more of him, but the development of Harvey's character over the course of the film into Two-Face is done. Mwah. It is gorgeous. It's not rushed. It's beautifully paced. It makes complete, total logical sense. Everything about his character is well-established to where his fall into insanity makes sense. You know? I know Joker turned him with a conversation, but it didn't take much because he was already there. He was in the throes of grief because his entire future went up in flames because other people couldn't get there fast enough. You know, like you can absolutely see him making that jump. And it all just folds back into this this analysis of the human character that I think this movie excels at. You have the best of humanity and you have the worst of humanity just laid bare in this movie. And it is skillfully done.
So, yeah, not only is this as of right now, and I will be absolutely flabbergasted if something upsets this, this is the best Batman movie so far, and it is also objectively just an incredible film in its own right. Like, if I bothered to write, like, a top ten list of my all-time favorite movies, Dark Knight is probably in there amongst the echelons of, like, Lord of the Rings and shit. Like, some of the greatest movies ever made, Dark Knight... Outside of the two nitpicks, and they are nitpicks. They are the nitpickiest nitpicks you could fucking find. The movie's virtually flawless. It is... <sighs> I would watch it again right the fuck now. It is absolutely incredible. So, there you go. And I think that'll do it for this week. Uh, I know we talked about not that many movies, but goddamn if I don't love dissecting Batman films. Because there is so much there. To really sink your teeth into um it is it is kind of amazing and after this there is like one other batman movie i have seen before because what we're about to dive into is the for me virtually unknown world of batman animated movies um pretty much i, I like i can't think of a single batman movie animated movie that i've already seen they're they're like all new to me um, so that's, that's the real one where I'm like, I'm curious about it. And so far, some of them have been pretty good. But the Nolan live-action Batman movies are easily the best. Like, it's no contest. So far, there's that Robert Pattinson Batman movie that looks promising, but I just don't see how it's gonna compete. They did it so well, they captured this beauty so amazingly, like, how could it possibly compete? And I guess we'll just have to find out. But for now, thank you all very much for watching, and I'll see you all next week for the next batch of Man Bat Movies. Have a good one, everyone.